Welcome to What's the 211 podcast, where we provide you with information about resources and programs in your community. 211 Maryland is a health and human service line for anyone seeking help for themselves or someone else. You can dial 211 if you need help with food, rent, or other services, or visit our website at www.211md.org. If you or someone you know needs to talk about their mental health or substance abuse, dial or text 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. What would be your advice for someone who's struggling with their mental health? You know, hesitant to seek the help because, you know, there may be a cultural language barrier or, or just any general other related reasons. What, what advice uh, would you suggest? You know, I think that is the tricky, that's a very, very tricky part because you always have the aunt that has an opinion on what you should do or should not be doing. And I think whenever somebody has any kind of mental health concern, you need to think of you first. You know, it's, you hear all this time, you know, when you go in a plane, they always tell you, put your oxygen first and then you help the others. If you do not take care of yourself, you cannot help anyone else. Nothing else matters. You need to focus on getting treatment for yourself don't think about treatment of a disorder. Think about well-being and perpetuating and improving your well-being. So words matter. And I think that the history of the psychiatry word, it really, it's a problem and, and it really kind of still remains a barrier and a cause for stigma for people to accessing services. So think about well-being. Don't think about a disorder. Morning, everyone, and welcome to What's the 211 podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest, Dr. Carmen Lopez Arvizu, Medical Director of Psychiatric Mental Health Program at Kennedy Krieger Institute and Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. So it basically means we're in great hands today. Welcome, Dr. Lopez. How are you? Good, good. It's definitely a pleasure, pleasure to have you here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Kennedy Krieger Institute and the services you all provide? Yeah. So, you know, Kennedy Krieger Institute has has been around for about 30 years now, and we are primarily a rehabilitation hospital, a pediatric rehabilitation hospital. So the area that we serve children, adolescents, and some adults across the whole institute, and it is about brain disorders that affect some realm of, of life. In my particular program, we focus on treating brain disorders that affect development, emotion, thinking, and behavior. And we see mostly children and adolescents, but we focus in, in the developmental trajectory and the comorbidities that can be present at any given time. We focus on interdisciplinary care that is patient-focused. My program is one of several programs that address uh, mental health development and behavior across the institute. Okay. Wow. So what can you tell us a little bit about what got you inspired in this psychiatric mental health field? Well, interestingly enough, it all started as being a family member. And, you know, it, I've told this story many times. So if anybody's hearing it again, I apologize. But it is really what started the fire on, on like what I call my personal mission. So my uncle had a traumatic brain injury when he was about 18. He he fell off a moving truck back in the day when people ride the pickups in the back. And he had significant thought and behavioral problems afterwards. So living with somebody at that time as an adult and 
experiencing the difficulties, the barriers for care and the realities of being a family member with somebody that needed so much support in daily life was what kind of brought me to the neurodevelopmental disabilities world. At that time, the lifeline for us was the psychiatrist. That's all we had access to. And and he was really a very important part of me making a decision of going into that field. Wow, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You you mentioned, you know, psychiatric mental health a couple of times. Is psychiatric and mental health the same thing? You know, this is very interesting. The name of the clinic, I didn't pick it, just to say. <laughs> but, you know, I, the word psychiatry has a lot of, I think, negative connotations and implications that are historical. So it is, it's sometimes very difficult to, to explain what that means. But it is an area of, of medicine that addresses brain disorders and mental health. So they go together. In other disciplines that are non-medical, the, the label mental health or behavior is what applies. But yes, the reality is that psychiatry is the branch of medicine that addresses mental health related to any kind of brain function. Thank you for explaining that. So, you know, with your vast experience in, in the field, can you share kind of some insights on the current landscape? What do you see as some challenges for folks that are often seeking treatment or just challenges you've seen in general? So there's there's def- definitely barriers to, to care and it has at different levels. One of them is systems. The other one is definitely the stigma. Which one do I think it's harder? I think stigma because stigma affects systems and affects the way in which People get services, reimbursement, and really help and workforce because people want to do good and want to start in in a path of career to support other people in mental health. But definitely the stigma of even belonging to to this group of healthcare professionals, it's, it's a stigma that we actually carry. So it's very interesting how stigma is really what moves and it's the primary barrier to all of it. Now, the second one is the access to services. It is very difficult to know in the bigger landscape what door to knock into. When when you, you know, where do I go? People are confused about, well, do I see a therapist? And what ther- what does that mean? What kind of discipline is a therapist? What kind of treatment are they going to offer? So I, I think it's confusing. If my child is having some behavioral difficulties or maybe it's having some, you know, concerning depression, where do I start? Where do I go? What door do I knock into? Therapy? Do I see a psychiatrist? Do I go to the hospital? Do I go to a clinic? Where do I go? I think we need to do better as healthcare professionals to establish a better access and be clear on what services do we offer from the start. That's great. And, and, and even with, with the stigma part, that's some of the things that we've been focusing on a lot here at Tour Maryland and across the state with stigma. And, and so do you see organizations becoming more supportive and kind of helping patients and the public around, you know, stigma, it's okay to receive help and, you know, come to us for this help or still many barriers for, you know, individuals who are kind of ashamed to, oh, to seek help. I absolutely think that the stigma remains, you know, we talk about it, but, you know, I often say this, but but I believe it. You know, I'm done with the talking. We need to have action. And, you know, we can talk about stigma, but until we actually do something about it, until we actually are more open and more receptive and not segregate 
people that have mental health problems for the big, from the bigger healthcare system is going to continue to be stigmatized. So we definitely need to have the action. We you know, we see often individuals that have mental health problems. You know, you hear it in the media everywhere. You know, people talk about words that are inappropriate and words matter. You know, people that are crazy, people that, you know, they're insane. They make fun and make jokes about these kinds of things that perpetuate the stigma. And, you know, I often always say that, you know, it's all funny until somebody you love is the one that is experiencing the difficulty. There's nothing funny about having a mental health difficulty or a mental health diagnosis or mental health symptoms. It can be devastating and we know it's life-threatening. Thank you. That that is also true. And as someone who has, you know, dealt with several family members, you know, with their mental health, you know, including including myself, as you said, the stigma is one of the important things. And so you you oversee the psychiatric mental health program for youth and adolescents. What are some differences that you see with youth experiencing mental health issues than adults? Is there a difference? Do, do they experience well, it the same? There's definitely a difference. And, and there's def- also a difference between younger children and adolescents and then adults. You know, people talk and joke about how, oh, the terrible twos are the worst. Well, those are the best years because you can pick up your kid and move them and they can they still have to do what you want them to do. Making an adolescent do something that you want them to do, that is a whole new different realm. If you cannot make them, you know, make their bed, what do you think happens when somebody needs mental health treatment and they do not want to participate? That's a huge barrier because many times, you know, as a parent, you can make an appointment, but you cannot make them attend and you cannot make them participate and really engage in treatment, which is, I think, one part of education that we need to do better in healthcare about what does treatment imply. And then the other part about adults is that it applies similarly in the sense of you have to want to participate in treatment and you have to be able to engage in treatment. One of the difficult parts, especially in transition age, you know, when when you have a a, a child that, you know, they're, they're 18, you cannot make them seek treatment. And in most places, they will not even talk to you. Because that as an adult, they have the right to refuse treatment. So it can be a very difficult situation. I would say transition years are very difficult. And it is very important that whenever you know we see kids that are adolescents, the process of transition and how the mental health treatment landscape changes. So it is very important to be informed. Okay. I just want to go back to one quick thing earlier you mentioned in reference to where parents or individuals who are coming in seeking services and difficulty knowing where to start. How does someone know, like I said, where to start? If I'm, you know, feeling I'm having certain feelings or, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm acting out with, with mom or dad or just mom is struggling, you know, when folks come, where do they start? So, you know, I always suggest because they, they, closest door to most people is start with your primary care. So if you have with the kids, you know, they, they usually have a better connection with their pediatricians that knows them from life. And the pediatrician might be able to have a, an, a first round of assessment to see how to guide them to treatment. Then the, the second option is approach somebody that, that they can refer you to, but also other things, the other people that are part of, of your life. You know, it might be maybe somebody from your faith, somebody that is from church. Maybe they're more comfortable with your pastor or with like somebody that is the youth group leader, you know, somebody else, or it might be a teacher that they want to approach. So that's the first line. And then the second line, I would say, if you can start with a psychiatric evaluation, that is great, but it will be probably a little bit harder to get. So approach 
anybody that can offer you any kind of psychotherapeutic support. Now, one thing that I think is very important, you know, we talk about healthcare consumers. Mental health is also very diverse and it has a lot of different disciplines that can be confusing to people. It is very important that you educate yourself as a consumer and ask, okay, I have some concerns about, you know, depression or my child is behaving a certain way. What are your credentials and what are you going to offer me? So I think that is very important. So a psychotherapy of some kind, but ask the questions, what kind? And these are my goals for treatment. Can you help me reach them? Thank you for that. And I also would like to also offer the, the state's 988 line, which is a federal line for, you know, it's available 24-7 for anyone to access that can offer quick assistance to a crisis support as well. So how do experiences in early childhood shape a person's development? So, you know, if someone's starting early and they may have some signs or symptoms of other depression or, you know, trauma experiences, does that continue as an adult? How does that kind of affect, you know, if it's not treated or not treated properly? If, if it is not, all early experiences shape who we become as adults. Just like my past experiences made me who I am today and the reason why I'm here and my personal mission in life. So whatever we experience, good or bad, shapes us. And there, you know, it is not only like experiences. We do know that things like trauma have an effect on even our genetic build as we grow and develop. You know, it shapes your brain and the way the experiences you have shape the future responses. That's the like trauma is an example. When you experience trauma as a child, it will shape the future responses to a similar event or something that resembles a traumatic event that you responded before. We know that parenting is very important. We know academics and school experience is very important. And all of those details and all of the exposures that you have as a growing individual will have an effect on your future trajectory. That's what we call epigenetics. You know, everything that surrounds you shapes you. When you address a child, and this is across the board, you know, you don't address a child in a bubble. What matters is everything that surrounds them. Their immediate environment, meaning their close family, parents, siblings. But then it doesn't stop there. It's the next step to neighborhood, schooling, city, state. Everything that surrounds you, not only your immediate family, but the safety, sociopolitical environment that it's next to you. All of those things shape the way you respond to an event. So nobody can be seen in a bubble. You have to always consider the context. Wow, that, that, that's great. And so, and sometimes there may, you know, we may try and work with the person, provide the services, but the environment and other, other areas can also play contributing factors. And you cannot ignore that. If you think you are going to be addressing just the individual in front of you, you are not doing your job correctly. You have to think about the context. In, in your opinion, you know, we are in a, in a world where social media and the internet is, is readily available for our youth. In your opinion, what role does that play on the mental health of our youth today? I think, I think it has good things and bad things. Definitely. I think social media has added a lot of opportunity for education, but at the same time has allowed for a lot of miseducation and information and perpetuation of stigma 
or perpetuation of incorrect information because anybody can put it out there. So again, we go back to being an informed consumer. We need to be aware of who is saying what and what what are they basing their sayings on. Now, it is very difficult, especially as a parent, because you do not know or you might not be so savvy technically, technologically about what your child is looking in and you might not even be aware of, of what are those things that they're looking at. But it is very important that you have a communication and an open communication with your child so they are able to share with you what are they looking into. You know, I think social media and in in general, the internet has opened up a way for us to exchange information that is very relevant and helpful to all of us. But it has also opened the avenue for misinformation and to be exposed to things that otherwise we would not be exposed to. And that involves negative experiences. Great. You know, because Maryland is such a diverse state, how do you think cultural language barriers impact someone's ability to either communicate their their health needs or just access healthcare professionals in our state? Yes, I do see it. And and I agree with you, even though, you know, we at Kennedy Krieger, we have interpretation services. But even then, there will always be little cracks for people to fall into if you're not careful about it. You know, For initiation of services, you have to call in a number or to have an email or to have ability to connect with somebody. And I think that first step, it's very difficult if you do not have access to an interpreter service or if you do not have the ability to explain in words that are similar to what it's used in mental health to access the services you want. We often hear the words, you know, we need, I need my child to be evaluated. And that can mean all kinds of things. So it it is the context of what you're asking might be different in different languages. So there is definitely a barrier for access to services. We have often, you can see that there's more common some languages than others. And depending on where you are located in Maryland, you might have some more access to some of the languages or not others. And it gets very tricky. Now in mental health in particular, it makes it a little bit more complex. No, I'm of Hispanic descent. So it, it is, you know, I, I am very aware about the different culture perceptions of mental health in the Hispanic population. And I try to do my best to to connect and explain to like our access people on how to ask the questions. So I think that it's important to, to be culturally competent whenever you deploy any kind of services, including just an intake line. Yeah, cultural competency is very important. For someone who is, you know, what would be your advice for someone who's struggling with their mental health, you know, hesitant to seek the help because, you know, there may be a cultural or language barrier or, or just any general other related reasons? What, what advice uh, would you suggest? You know, I think that is the tricky, that's a very, very tricky part because you always have the aunt that has an opinion on what you should do or should not be doing. And I think whenever somebody has any kind of mental health concern, you need to think of you first. You know, it's, you hear all this time, you know, when you go in a plane, they always tell you, put your oxygen first and then you help the others. If you do not take care of yourself, you cannot help anyone else. Nothing else matters. You need to focus on getting treatment for yourself don't think about treatment of a disorder. Think about well-being and perpetuating and improving your well-being. So words matter. And I think that the history of the psychiatry word, it really, it's a problem and, and it really kind of still remains a barrier and a cause of stigma for people to accessing services. So think about well-being. Don't think about a disorder and address 
you first. Because if you are not okay, you cannot take care of your parents, you cannot take care of your children, you cannot work, you cannot do anything else. So you need to focus on what makes you better. That's great advice. We, we know at Kennedy Krieger, you know, with all the partnerships and some of the patients and the work that's being done, is there any, you know, particular things that Kennedy Krieger does to ensure that, you know, it has a kind of a patient-centered focus and, you know, they are really focusing on the individual, as you said, to ensure? Yes. So we are not perfect. I'm the first one to say it. So one of the things that we are working on very hard is to revamping our access and our intake, you know, our main door, how to be able to provide the services that you are asking for, but most importantly, the work that you need. And it will be patient first and family first. That's our first step. Mm-hmm. And how does, you know, collaboration play a role in that? I, I know that, you know, you mentioned you have to take care of the individual, but also the community in other areas. Does is there, you know, partnerships and collaboration also help? So, you know, one of the things is that just as a child, you cannot address in a bubble. You have to also collaborate with other disciplines that work with this child. So it is very important with me as a psychiatrist to have communication with the therapist that is addressing the needs of this child, the parents. And have feedback from the school. Are we, we do have some collaborations across the institute regarding education, health, nurse education. And we have also a, a podcast, you know, in WYPR where different topics of health. And, you know, we really are working on one thing that I think it's part of our biggest mission, which is collaboration and education. And I mean about education, about healthcare. One of, of my, main goals is to make sure that I prepare others to be able to take my place when I'm gone, hopefully until I'm gone, not before. So we do have child psychiatry fellows that are physicians that are here in their last two years of training to get to see more patients and more experience. And we participate on those efforts. We have postdoctoral psychology trainees and uh, interns and externs as well in our clinic. And the the one other thing that we are actually launching and starting recruitment in, in January is we're going to do a social work clinical fellowship to train social workers in evidence-based psychotherapy. So our biggest workforce that you will see around are social workers that do psychotherapy. And we have those in our clinic. We have all of them. And the effort and the importance of their role is something that I'm not sure has been always in the forefront. And we are going there. We do want an interdisciplinary workforce. So we hire them and we train them here. And we want to continue to do so. That's great. And what will psychotherapy provide? Psychotherapy for mental health, and I often say this as in comparison with physical therapy. When you have a sprain in your ankle, you do not run a marathon the next day. You take time. You have to go to physical therapy. They teach you what exercises to do, how to decrease the pain, and how to improve your strength so you can go back to running. And then you go little by little and you start taking step by step until you're ready to run again. And then once you can run a marathon again, you do it on your own and you use the tools and the exercises that you learn in physical therapy to do so. That is the equivalent to physical therapy for the soul. That's psychotherapy. You learn the tools, you learn the exercises, they do them with you, and then you go on your own and continue them so you can run a marathon again. That's a great analogy. 
You know, Maryland is pretty, you know, pretty lucky to have a great cost in a network of, of crisis centers here. And you mentioned, you know, the importance of early intervention. And so, you know, even as an, I didn't seek any particular you know, treatment or just seeing a therapist until I, as an adult. But, you know, how, how important is early kind of intervention and just, you know, as a young adult or, you know, as an adolescent, just seeing a therapist if it's needed? You know, even in the in the very early ages. So if you notice that your preschooler is having difficulties, you need to address them. Once school starts, if you're having any kind of behavioral difficulties or emotional distress, it's going to affect your learning. And remember, you know, you learn everything that you need to know in third grade. So if that interferes in your learning, it's going to follow you for the rest of your life. So the moment you see it, you need to move on it because it will affect not only academics, but it will also affect peer interactions. So it's both of them. Uh, Interesting. Interesting. So what, you know, just being in the field as long as you, you, you have in your experience, has there been any good advancements or trends that you've seen in the mental health field that looks promising or exciting that we look forward to? I'm not that old. Thank you, Quayna. But um, <laughs> well, no, experience, again, not experience. experience. <laughs> so I think there's certainly been a change for, for the good of a little bit more acceptance. However, I think there's still a lot more to do, especially in educating Though that group of like teenagers that are so difficult to engage in treatment, because like I said, you know, you cannot make them participate in treatment, but we can educate them about how this intervention might help them in the future. And I think we have to do better on that. And also in psychoeducation, in educating the parent, when a child has a difficulty, it's not a here, fix my kid. It's a no, 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 we are a team. I need you to be part of my team and we can do this together. But it cannot be only the kid alone or me alone. It has to be all of us. You also mentioned earlier the role of self-care. What, what, can you explain kind of what that actually means? And, and even for yourself, like how, how, do, how do you provide that for yourself, that, that well, self-care? You know, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we often put others needs first before you. So, you know, if you have children, they probably all went to the dentist, they, you took them to the pediatrician, whatever. But did you go to your primary care? You know, did you take a walk to clear your mind? Are you doing exercise? Are you being, you know, eating healthy? Because the world gets into your life and into your determination to improve your quality of life. But the reality is that if you do not give you a little bit of time for yourself, everything else will get there. You know, it will fill the void. So you really need to Think about how to put your oxygen first before you help everybody else. And this is something that is a message that is really important when we see any any children as patients to address this for the parents, because many times they will be absolutely present for the kids' appointments, but they will not address their own mental health. So just like go to the dentist, go to the other things. Well, yeah, 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 but I'm going to focus on Johnny first. Well, you know, then you're going to have a cavity and then it's going to be worse if you do not do the preventative measures. So it's very important to have a balance. Now, I say this, do I do it? I'm not that great at that, but it's one of my goals for this year. It's a goal. 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 Yes. How, how can someone learn more about the services at Kennedy Krieger? Well, we have a website, kennedykrieger.org. We, you know, we're always and forever trying to improve the access and the view of it so it's easier to navigate. So that's the best way to go because all the programs, all the services, all the phone numbers are listed. 
And, and I also want to say before we kind of wrap up that, you know, I'm still forever grateful that you reached out to us to help us to better, you know, understand how to make sure that we can change, make our language more helpful and adaptive to populations that we're serving. So I definitely want to thank you again for just reaching out to us and offering your guidance about being able to support those who are in need. I definitely want to thank you again. And in closing, is there anything else that you would like to share that we need to keep in mind as we're starting, you know, the summer is winding down, we're getting ready for school. Anything? You know, just that, that, you know, one of the things that we see more often is transition. You need to start preparing for school time, you know, schedules, make sure everything's ready and be prepared. That's all, you know, every transition, it's difficult. So when we're talking about maybe the last school year or the first grade, all of those little details might be simple to us as adults, but the kids are experiencing them now. So it's important to remember how things were for you at that time. And to put, you know, I'm not saying, and I will never say, you know, we were all on the same boat or I have been in your shoes because that's not true. I might have an idea. We're in the same ocean, but we are all riding different boats. And I think it's very important to remain aware of our differences and similarities whenever we make a recommendation or when we try to connect with somebody. I think that is very important. Well, thank you. That is great information. Dr. Lopez, I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. And we do appreciate your your partnership and, and words of wisdom. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. I think one of the things that I can really tell you is that I'm speaking from experience. I am a first line mental health clinician that lives in the system and addresses these issues every single day. So I am very grateful for being given the opportunity to share my experience. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and subscribing to What's the 211 Podcast. We are here for you 24-7, 365 days a year, simply by calling 211. Also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at 211Maryland or at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Media Podcast.